This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools, and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better, the podcast where we interview interesting people that not only inspire us, but so that we can learn from their story and their challenges. I'm very excited about today's guest coming on. Today we have Dina Puccio, who actually spoke at my daughter's school. And because my daughter came home and spoke so highly of Dina, I knew I had to talk to her (laughs) because she doesn't really come home that excited when she has uh, guest speakers. So Dina Puccio is a former assistant district attorney from New York City. She worked in the Sex Crime Special Victims Unit of the King's County District Attorney's Office in Brooklyn. As a sex crimes prosecutor, she worked on cases involving adult, teenage and child victims. She's married and the mother of three daughters living in London. She co-founded the organization The Rat Project, which is raising awareness and prevention for teens and young adults. The initial vision was to address young women and raise awareness around personal safety issues. Now, having worked in over 250 schools and spoken to over 100,000 young people, Rap has expanded to young men, parents and corporate employees and now also addresses internet safety and body images. She's appeared as an expert commentator on Sky News and has been featured with her co-founder in the Mail of Sunday's You magazine. They have also started a charity, the Rap Foundation, to speak in state schools. She is the co-author with Alison Havey of the book Sex, Likes and Social Media, talking to our kids in the digital age. Dina, it is so lovely to have you here today. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Fleur. It's very, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm sure our audience would love to hear a bit more about you and the Rap Project. So I'll begin with the Rap Project. I have been a former sex crimes prosecutor in New York City. I moved to London and sort of woke up one day and realized that my little baby was 15 years old. And I never had a conversation with her about consent, about dating. She was quite cocooned, a single sex girl school, and never spoke about boys. I never heard them mentioned in the house. I only have daughters. I was driving her to a drama school on a Saturday morning with her BFF. And what emerged was that she was meeting up without my knowledge with some boy. And it was literally that moment when she exited the car And after I asked her questions, she told me I embarrassed her and she was never going to speak to me again. Did I realize that I was completely out of touch with my daughter? And I didn't think I would be out of touch. I'm a former sex crimes prosecutor. I'm a hands-on mom. You know, at the time I was listening to Pitbull and Flo Rider and I'm trying to be cool. (laughs) But I did realize at that moment that because of things like social media, I had no idea who my daughter was friending. And I also was worried about never having those conversations. So I had this idea to speak to young people, particularly young women at the time, based on my sex crimes background, about very practical safety issues. Some things I wish people had told me when I was that age. And one of my best friends, Alison Haney, who's a former TV news producer and journalist, we're mums from the school gates, and we were having lunch, and I told her about this idea. And she said, oh, you know what? Maybe I can help you with a video or something for your website, which I didn't even have. 
And we went back to her kitchen table. And that's how the very beginning of rap, which used to be called Trap, was born. And Alice and I have been doing it now for almost 10 years. And now I've started the Rap Foundation to speak to state schools and bring these messages to everyone we can. Well, I'm loving hearing Dina, and it's, you know, sort of frequently the case with the guests that we have on the podcast is there's frequently something within their lives that sparks or ignites the idea of something that becomes much bigger. In your case, obviously, it was the realization that your life was becoming a teen, uh, your daughter, sorry, was becoming a teenager. She was having a life of her own. And you were not that hands-on mom that you thought you were in, in the knowing. And that sort of provoked the movement that you guys now have embraced for almost 10 years now. So first on behalf of all, of all of all of us, thank you for starting that. And I'm curious to hear a bit more, where do you find the strength to do all that? Where are you finding that inspiration to be a full-time mother, run your own business and run it so successfully and for such an important course? Wow, thank you very much for all those compliments. I always wanted to work with sexual assault victims, always. That was been my remit from a very early age. According to my mother, I came out on a soapbox and was always preaching feminism. And I was, I grew up in a very traditional a Catholic Lebanese a Italian household in Brooklyn where women were not expected to have careers and we weren't encouraged to go on to university. And I always thought something was wrong with that. And I had a real problem looking around me and seeing where women were being treated, whether it was in my life or whether it was by the media. And I was always very aware. So becoming a sex crimes prosecutor was always my passion. What inspires me is the people I work with every day and my own daughters. And when someone like Fleur said, my daughter came home and spoke about you, that gives me the inspiration. That makes me think there's a reason why I'm doing this. If I can inspire one young person to make a difference in the world, just one, I know what I've done is worth it. So it's getting up every day and knowing that work needs to be done. It's the everyone's invited movement, knowing that we have not accomplished what we need to accomplish. And we all have to keep working together and fighting to promote change. And my own daughters, hearing their stories and wanting to make the world a better place for them. Mm, it's beautiful. One, that you had that awareness very young, that you wanted to make a difference and, you know, instead of just accepting what you saw, but deciding to do something about it is fabulous. But the fact that then being inspired further after you've had your children and just that humanity of, you know, if I just change one person's life, how that ripples onto so many people's lives. I can already see the change in my children. You've been in their school this week talking and what a change they've had and some awareness that they've had already. So keep up the good work because it's making a huge, huge difference. I'm sure there's days where you have these challenges and you think, oh, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this. What does get you to go overcome those challenges and what kind of challenges have you had to get this message out there? I think Alison is an amazing business partner and friend and like my sister and I think having someone that we we always laugh that the days when I feel like I'm losing my mind she feels sane and the days that she feels she's losing her mind I'm sane so somehow we balance each other out and having a friendship that 
has spanned now 20 years really helps keeping us going with the business. It is difficult balancing everything. Allison's got two children. I've got three. We both have husbands, partners, you know, having to worry about things like how are their, you know, how is their mental health? Making sure that dinner does get on the table, worrying about them getting through A-levels. Both of our youngest are going through A-levels right now with the uncertainty of how they're being assessed and where they're going to university, making sure they're eating properly. I mean, all those things that, that come first in our lives. And then sometimes we just are absolutely exhausted having to then inspire and empower other young people when you don't necessarily feel inspired about the world at that moment or empowered going forward, especially when you look at you know what's going on in the world politically and socially, it is difficult. But I think having a very strong support network, like I said, for me, it's Allison, my husband, my daughters, and a really great group of girlfriends. A little bit of Chardonnay doesn't help sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I could relate to so much of that because I know that we've been successful because of our partnership, because we, we have exactly the same thing. When one of us is pushing forward, the other ones, you know, might be having a lax day and, and that having that person that's always there on your side that you can communicate with and just be supported by makes a huge difference doesn't it and I'd say to anybody that's starting a business do it do it in pairs and do it with someone that you totally trust and has the same values as you because that makes makes a huge difference it really does it really does it definitely makes things better (laughs) Um, I wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned Dina which obviously me coming from this background in media and entertainment caught my attention and is the fact that obviously we were talking before we started recording about how after the sad news of Sarah Everold here in the UK kind of like your business has had even more attention as a result of this obviously and one of the things that we are seeing on media is kind of that the duality of on the one hand the need to educate as you were doing younger adults girls and boys into what consent sexuality is so they feel empowered and they know what's good what's not what's right what's wrong but the other thing that is making the headlines in media as well is the need of starting to educate men in particular about the role that they play and the fact that a lot of media speaks about women killed, women did this, a lot of focus on the victim as a woman, but not so much on the male and the work that they need to use. I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what do you think about that? What sort of work you guys are doing in schools to educate both boys and girls, but also as we hear, and you're also doing with corporates, with parents to educate in that area as well. That's such a you know, multifaceted and complex question. <laughs> uh, when, we, when we first started RAP, it was TRAP, it was Teenage Rape Awareness and Prevention. And only having daughters and working with victims, we, I just want to speak to young women. And it was Allison who pushed me out of my comfort zone and said, no, 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 we need to speak to the boys and young men. And she also has a son. And I think that also made her a lot more comfortable to speak to young men. So we were at a school and speaking just to the young women. And the head of PSHE said to us, I need you to speak to the boys. And I thought, okay, we'll, we'll put something together. We'll get back to you. He said, no, no, you got to come tomorrow. And I was like, wait, what do you mean come tomorrow? He's like, I don't do exactly what you're saying to the girls. They just need to hear the message. 
and sort of being forced into that situation, not wanting to let him down, we just went in there and we spoke to them. It came, became very clear that they're very confused about things like consent. We as a society, what happened with everyone's invited, it's not a, a private school problem. It's not a state school problem. It's not a school problem. It's a societal problem, right? So we as, as a society make, need to take responsibility to what we've let occur because these are kids. So we haven't done our job properly as adults to educate them on these issues. So for young men, we need to dispel the myths about sexuality and consent. We also need to talk about how pornography, hardcore pornography, is really negatively affecting their expectations of what women are supposed to look like, as well as what sexual relations are supposed to be all about. We need to look at mainstream media and how pornography has infiltrated that, whether it's music lyrics, print ads, music videos. And if we look at everything on a whole, we need to also realize that we're raising men in a very negative way, young boys, to be violent, to be aggressive, not to have the empathy they should have. This is not their fault. We're doing that, right, as a society. So we need to speak to young men on a very, in a very direct way about allowing them to show their emotions, allowing them to understanding respect and consent. And I think one of the big issues right now is young men feeling on the defensive. I've been thinking a lot about this. So one of the questions is I get, how do you co-op young men, particularly into this issue without putting them on the defensive? So I was thinking about this when it comes to race. And when I'm white, right, and I've got white privilege because of my white skin, and I've got friends who are Afro-Caribbean or African-American, and when they talk to me about being the victims of racist, racist slurs or behavior, I don't say, well, I didn't do that. I'm not racist. I'm a good person, and I would never do that. I say, I'm really sorry you've experienced that. I, I want to listen to your experience. And Tell me how I can help make it better. So to me, it seems as if we could do the same thing when it comes to gender-related or gender-based violence. Everyone should be saying, I'm sorry, how do we let this happen? And how could we as a, as a society, despite gender, despite sexual orientation, come together and make positive change? Mm-hmm. And, and, and parents, particularly of young boys, need to, you know, recognize the fact that there's a possibility a good one, their son is watching porn. And that doesn't make them a bad parent. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's very good at getting people hooked. If I had a pound for every time a mother of a son told me that their child was not watching porn, I would have the biggest house in Kensington Gardens, you know? Um, <laughs> I was at a school once and I, that we go to quite often, a boys' school, and a mother came up to me at the end of the presentation and she said, I have a question. I said, of course. She said, when did my son become a rapist? And I said, excuse me? I said, I, I, your son's not a rapist. I never said he was a rapist. So again, we need to look at how we're raising our young people, the conversations we're having, and we have to person up and we have to... We have to talk about this stuff. We may not like it, but we have to. Mm. Look at what's happened. If we, this has happened, everyone's invited, happened because we weren't willing to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I seem to work with a lot of 16-year-old boys at the moment. I'm being sent a lot of 16-year-old boys who have 
because I'm a coach, who are very, like you said, very, very confused. They're either emotionally volatile or they're emotionally turned off because they don't have these conversations. So they're either shameful that they're having these feelings or they're angry that they don't understand these feelings. So what I'm hearing you say is about not being scared to just find out how they're feeling and have these open conversations and tell them it's okay how they're feeling, but help them learn to manage those thoughts and feelings so that they don't have any more negativity that makes them even angrier or even more sad. And if they are confused, we need to clear up the confusion, right? So at one school, a young man asked us if a girl is lying there passed out drunk and mumbles, yes, is that consent? Someone on the young man literally said, well, if a girl comes over to my house, doesn't that mean she wants it? Or if she's dressed a certain way. Yeah. So rather than say, are you kidding? How can you say that? How Mm -hmm. can you ask that question? Mm -hmm. You say, okay, let's talk about that. Why do you think that's okay? And then work through it. So they reach the conclusion that the the good, the the, the positive (laughs) conclusion on their own without tearing them down and humiliating them. So therefore they don't have a voice and they don't get the questions answered. And then how do we expect them to act if we're not willing to have the conversations? Yeah, it just goes underground, doesn't it? If they feel that judgment, yeah, the first thing is to just be compassionate about whatever they're thinking and feeling because they are confused. So to get them to feel that it's okay, whatever they're feeling, and be compassionate about that because that judgmental voice, the first voice, you it just stops any conversation. And I know it is hard for the parents, but these conversations, uncomfortable conversations, do need to be had. Now, I mean, I've got three girls, so I'm interested in what the main advice you give to the girls to keep them safe from sex crimes. Well, I would say, I'm going to answer it in a different way. It may not be the, 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 the way that, that I'm answering the question, but what's come out with everyone's invited, speaking to so many young women now at so many schools in the past month and a half, is when asked, well, why didn't you tell anyone, okay, about what happened to you? And what they have said, all of them unequivocally, is that when a sexual assault happened, they were most likely at a party they shouldn't have been at. They were drinking alcohol, which they shouldn't have been doing, or possibly smoking weed or doing worse. They might be getting off with a boy or a girl. And when a sexual assault occurs, if they disclose it to their parents or to an adult or school, they're more worried that the focus is going to be what they were doing wrong at the time of the assault, as opposed to the assault itself. So one of the things I think that we need to speak to our young women about, and we need to speak to parents about, is no matter what happens, call home, come home. Will we get upset? Absolutely. Our anxiety will spin out of control. Will we tell you off? At some point, yes, we probably will. Will you get grounded? Okay. However, it is better getting in trouble with us. We may not always like your choices, but we will always love you. Come home. We will take care of you and we'll get you through this. Because I think that is a message that we need to tell our young women over and over again. We're here for them. We'll get them through this. And that has been one of the tragic messages that have come through this movement of young women feeling they don't have a voice. They've been marginalized and 
they have nowhere else to go but to share these horrific experiences to virtual strangers on a social media site. Oh my God, that is so sad. What does it say about us, right? So I think as a mom, I wanna say, please tell your daughters or your sons to call home. We'll always be there for you. I think that is something that we need to really hit home. As far as staying safe, we always promote general relationship advice, friendship, romance, intimacy, right? You're more, less likely something is going to go wrong if you know the person, you have a friendship, a, a trust, and sex is going to be a lot better anyway if you, if you have <laughs> those foundations, right? Also, I have to be honest, and I am not going to talk about never have alcohol because I obviously, I mean, like I said, I enjoy my, I enjoy my glass of wine in the evening. The, the, the problem with alcohol is if you get so inebriated that you cannot defend yourself, you cannot say no. When I speak to so many parents groups, right, a father or a mother of a daughter inevitably comes up to me and says, you need to tell my daughter how to dress because you know what can happen. And I'm like, no. As a feminist, which is a badge of honor, I'll wear until the day I die. As a former sex crimes prosecutor, there is absolutely no correlation between how anyone dresses and being the victims of a sex crime, okay? That's about violence and control. However, so if you are wearing a short skirt or showing cleavage and someone is in your space, you can push them away. You could say no. You could defend, you could defend yourself, right? But if you've had so much alcohol and you are so inebriated that you cannot defend yourself, you cannot articulate no, what worries me is your vulnerability. So the problem with alcohol or getting high or doing any kind of drugs is not morally preaching about the ills of those substances inherently on its own. It's how it affects you and your vulnerability and not being able to protect yourself. And that's whether it's walking home at night. That's for young men and young women. You know, I always say you don't want to wake up and look down and say, who is that? What did I do? Did they consent? Did I consent? So they need to be very, very careful when it comes to alcohol consumption. Dina, I've picked up on a couple of things you said after coaching as well. I mean, I don't want to share anything specific, but I know that girls have been in the same house as their parents and they've had older family members, boys who've taken advantage of them and they're too scared to tell their parents. So I think this message of saying to our girls, you know, whatever happens to you, I love you, whatever, and it is wrong and you can share that, I think is so important because I know that these little girls are even too scared to say that something's happened when their parents are downstairs. It's not even about calling them. It's just they are too scared to admit that they let something happen because they was they were vulnerable and they didn't know, they didn't know how to say no. So I think we've got to have this message to parents to have these open conversations before the children are in that situation. And also this drinking as well. I have older clients that come and woken up the next morning and said the same thing. I didn't want to have sex and I was drunk and he took advantage of me. Putting ourselves in those situations is so dangerous. It's sad that we're in this situation because, you know, you should be able to drink what you want. You should be able to do what you want. And it, the owner shouldn't be on us. I get that 100%. But there's a reality. I think it's four out of every 10 victims of a sexual assault had alcohol before the incident. And 58% of man, male assailants have admitted to drinking alcohol. So I didn't make the correlation up. That's from the National ONS and I believe the CPS. 
we have to look at that. You know, I would tell anyone to be careful of your alcohol intake, even not do it sex. If you're walking home from the tube, you know, you're more likely to have to be the victim of any crime. If your radar is off, right? If you if you're not in control of yourself, and alcohol and drugs does this to our bodies and our minds, so we need to just protect ourselves all the time, not mm-hmm. just when it comes to a yeah. sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm hearing is uh, is two things. On the one hand, obviously, is on us to be aware of you know where we are and how capable we are of protecting or defending ourselves or, you know, to conduct any sort of activity, being in control of it uh, for that matter. But the other thing I'm picking up on, and I think that's when when the saying it takes a village really comes to play and is the fact that whenever an assault or, you know, has happened, the women, girls in particular, were feeling the guilt. Like, I should have not let this happen. I should have not done X, Y, and Z. And I think that is so important that as a culture, as human beings really put the focus in there, that regardless, as you said, Dina, what you were doing, if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time or not, the fact that something has happened, that's what is wrong. And it's got nothing to do with you and whether you should have not been at that party, it has to do with the fact that that person should have not taken advantage of you. I just get passionate about this. Think about other crimes. Having been a prosecutor, if, if someone lives in a nice house, right, or they have an iPhone or a nice car, and they get burgled or robbed or mugged, no one says to them, why do you live in that nice house? Right? Yeah. Why do you have that nice car? Why do you have that phone? Are you flaunting it? Oh, by the way, so your phone was stolen when you're walking home. Why is your skirt so short? Did you just have alcohol before you got your phone stolen? Did you have, what's your sex life like? No one, no one asks these questions of victims of any other crime, right? But yet we ask them, they're irrelevant. Whether someone had alcohol, whether they're what the like their their short skirts or not, no one cares. But when it comes to sex crimes, we act as if what happened was not violent and controlling, but it's sex that just kind of went wrong. And I submit it is not. So we have to think differently about this crime. We as a society victim blame. Yeah, we do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we got to stop that. Mm. I remember a teacher that I was teaching with, you know got raped and he got away with it because she went back to his house and it, 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 she uh, never uh, felt know. the same she was never the same person after it was so so soul destroying to see how much that affected her oh it does it's a, it, it, it does victims will live with this for a very long time and and it's a shame i know a young woman at university who was raped and it happened at like midnight and she was actually text someone like get me out of the situation and the cps declined prosecution because at nine o'clock earlier that evening she was seen on cctv camera holding that kid guy's hand and they said that could be construed as consent i'm like did i miss something like so so you held his hand at nine o'clock that means you were consenting to sex at midnight like the fact that consent is the issue that it is to be it has to be drafted differently under the law. There are so many things that have to change and it's going to take a while. You know, we have to look at the criminal justice system. We have to look at pornography, not look at it, but analyze how it's affecting young people and all of us. 
and negative gender stereotypes in the media that compound the confusion when it comes to issues of sexual relationships and consent. So then I'm curious to hear, because obviously what I am hearing about it is that there is still a lot of work to be done by everyone. I'm a mom of two very young children who are very young to understand anything around those lines. But I like to think that I was still making an effort in getting them to understand how you need to ask and address people, understand feelings. So when they become older, they are being prepped for having these sort of conversations. But what do you say? How is it a good way to start that conversation with your own children? What sort of things would you encourage parents to say to their daughters, their sons, to, to start opening that communication space? At very young ages, at very young ages, you could talk about, first of all, the important thing is always naming body parts properly, right? Don't, you know, call a vagina a, a treasure or a cuckoo. I mean, you know, it, it, because then it, it gives it gives it gives your genitalia this magical power that almost separates you from the body. So if someone touches you in a place they should not be touching you and you don't say that's a vagina, that is a penis, it's this magical place. They actually separate it from reality, right? That that's something really important. I think also we need to look around us and what is in mainstream media and how these conversations can happen at an early age. If you look at even Disney princess films, okay? And if you look at how many, a woman is passed out sleeping, right? Like, like Snow White and all these other, right? And she's uncommunicative and a male shows up, a prince, and he kisses her and he breathes life back into her. Now, if that was on Netflix right now and the first episode of a new show, because I know watching lots of, Netflix and lockdown is a woman in a hospital bed in a coma, right? And a man comes in and he she can't talk. She met this guy maybe once and he kisses her and breathes life back into her. We'd be like, are you kidding me? That would be off Netflix within 24 hours, right? Hashtag me too, hashtag no consent. So we're, we're reading these fairy tales to our kids. So we shouldn't be. And again, I'm not, I'm not you know, but we should be, re, there should be a new narrative to children's stories. And there are, they've gotten better, but we need to find that because it's from those early ages. Look at James Bond films, right? If James Bond was doing now what he was doing then, he'd be behind double O bars, right? Think about that. No, James, and they keep going. No, it's over. You stop touching her. Stop kissing her. Stop persuading. So it's the, listen to music lyrics, right? Where young women are being referred to as hoes and bitches and you're like no that's degrading and derogatory and you and girls are saying it and they call each other that i'm like stop that that is not reclaiming language because it can be reclaimed in our lifetime don't say well we've been degraded by society and by men so now we're going to degrade ourselves by taking that language like two two wrongs don't make a right how do you stop these boys though not listening to this rap music because I, I have the parents say to me like I'm, I'm a feminist I'm totally against him listening to it and as soon as they you know approach the subject the boys want to listen to it even more but the, some of this rap music they listen to is so degrading to women but you know what it's my daughter listens to it my youngest daughter 17 ask them why do you like that what is it about that what did you hear what they just said because it killed, believe me, I have problems with a lot of problems with it. But then I have to question, 
why? It's like watching Love Island. I don't particularly want to watch Love Island, but I watched it to try to understand why it was the number one rated show in the country, when it was all about just having sex and vacuous conversations and body types that were all, you know, everyone had fake everything. And I was like, how in 2018, there were more contestants applied to be on Love Island than applied to Oxford University? Right. What does that say about our society? And again, I'm not saying everyone should apply to Oxford. That's elitist of me. I know that. I don't mean it that way. But what does that say about our value system? What is the fascination with it? Is it because people don't talk about it, so they're fascinated about it? Or is it the remodeling of the teenage brain and the fact that they want to do something against what, you know, adults? I I think I think I understand escapism with reality TV, right? Because we don't necessarily want to watch a documentary on, you know, World War II after a long day of school or work. I get that. What worries me about is when they become role models. So if, if we can watch them and say, okay, I never want to be this way. This is ridiculous. It's actually a bit of mindless fun. I don't have a problem with that. But I worry when you ask particularly young women, there was a survey a few years ago and it pulled young women 15 and 16 years old asking what they wanted to be when they grow up. And the number one answer was famous followed by nothing. And that's what concerns me. When it's not, you know, if you want to be a famous anything, give me some depth, give me some substance. But to say, I just want to be famous, this is the reality TV culture, you know, started, I think, by the Kardashians about it's just about fame for fame's sake. And it's all about this vacuous superficiality. And that's what concerns me when those when they become our role models. There's always been fascination about sex, isn't it? I mean, Bridgerton's been huge, hasn't it, for the teenagers as well. What do you think yeah. about that? My daughter asked me to yeah. watch it yesterday and I was like, let me think about that. She's nearly 15. I, I, I have to say, I think that it was very, it was, it was a great, healthy portrayal of a sexual relationship, right? Because we always say mutual consent, mutual respect and mutual pleasure. And if you watch Bridgerton, there's mutual consent, mutual respect, and mutual pleasure. So I'm happy if that is going to be a sexual model for our young people. We're two consensual people who are respect each other and pleasuring each other. I think that's great. So look, of course, people were all always been curious about sex. There's even some uh, a great um, consent scene in uh, Normal People. So there is some very good sexual, healthy relationships being portrayed in the media. Not enough, but I'm I'm a proponent of normal people in Bridgerton. I think that's great. Oh, I love normal people. That's good then. Maybe she can watch it. <laughs> so you'll yeah. be pleased. So because when all their friends are talking about it, it's difficult, isn't it? When when your parents are saying, "Well, I'm not sure. Let me have a think about it," and you know they feel left out. So it's a fine line, isn't it? Luckily, she didn't want to watch Love Island. But you need to also, I think, understand or, you know, include the concept of let's just not demonize sex for the for the sake of it. There is good sexuality. There are healthy TV shows, programs, talks out there is making an effort to ensure that is more off instead of less off. And I think that's, you know, that's what I'm hearing throughout is that there are many good things out there. There are many good values, many good conversations. It's just, as we say, uh, always in coaching, is where we're choosing to put the focus on and being willing to put the focus and make the effort for the things that are going to help you move forward. That's that's what I'm hearing from you, Dean, as well. 
Oh yeah, sex. I mean, sex is good, right? If it wasn't good, we wouldn't be having it. Um, <laughs> but it's about it's about mutual consent, mutual respect, and mutual pleasure. And that's that is what's missing in porn. That's what's missing in a lot of media. And if we keep hitting home those messages, then hopefully going forward, our young people will be more empowered in there and making healthier sexual choices going forward. I love that choices. I mean, we're both empowerment coaches. So the fact that, you know, it is about choice, but they've got to understand, haven't they, about that, you know, it is mutual. Now you're addressing internet safety, which I think is huge and body image issues. Can you tell us about what you're teaching? So, you know, our kids' virtual and real lives are now meshed into one. And and they're better at this than we are. So setting parental controls just ain't going to work. So it's really about, again, empowering them in their choices. If they want to control what's going on in their physical space, they could do the same thing in their virtual space. If they are coming away from an Instagram account or an, an internet site and they feel worse about themselves, they should cut that, per- that, that, that site, that person, that influencer out of their lives. If they're in a toxic friendship, whether it's online or whether it's physical, cut that out. So it's the same empowerment in your everyday physical relationships as it has to be with your virtual relationships because right now they've merged and they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. So, and again, not just saying, you, you know, if you tell a kid they can't get a certain app, they'll get it, right? Because like I said, for them, it's riding a bike. For us, it's going to Mars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that easy. So it's about, again, talking to them at a very early age about what they're seeing and how they feel. And also, it's the same thing as far as us as adults spinning out of control, right? We don't know what it's like to receive a sex at 15 years old. We don't know what it's like to be exposed to porn at 13 on our phones. So the problem is when our kids tell us something, we freak out. I, I know I've done it. And what we have to tell our kids is you've done nothing wrong. You have been manipulated. You are a victim of all this. And tell us, share this with us. Because they're, again, more afraid to tell us what they're being exposed to because they're going to be blamed. Mm-hmm. So if they've gone down the rabbit hole and they've been communicating with someone, and guess what? That's not who the person said they were. They're mm-hmm. afraid to tell us. Because what mm-hmm. are we going to say? Why did you accept their friendship? Why did you communicate with them? Right? We're, and they're not going to tell us right? They get a sex from a friend. They're so afraid to have that photo on their phone that they're going to get in trouble. Honey, you didn't do anything wrong. It's okay. Even if you've sent one, you've made a mistake. It's okay. We've all made mistakes. When it comes to the sexting thing, we say, you know, did generations before them share sexual photos? Yeah. But you know what? Guess what? We had a Polaroid. You could rip things up. They don't have that luxury and did we do things when they were when we were their age that we're not proud of absolutely but guess what there's no evidence there's no record of that <laughs> exactly right but but big brother is their reality and it wasn't ours so it's all about saying to them here's the thing they didn't invent instagram snapchat whatsapp tiktok and facebook although they're not really on facebook because we're on facebook we did as adults. The problem is we've given it to them at a very early age. We've told to figure it out, self-regulate, and get back to us when you're adults. Again, unfair, irresponsible. That's on us. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So we need to add it. we need to figure out how do we mess this up and how can we then have the conversation, say, I'm sorry, you're not responsible for all this. Let's figure out how to get you through the next few years. And again, it ain't perfect. 
my kids have made mistakes. You know, all of our kids are going to continue to make mistakes, but we need to try to give them as much support as we can to maneuver this labyrinth of insanity of social media and the N24-7 access. Yeah, I'm just hearing the same thing again. It's all about that compassion, isn't it? That how difficult it is for them in this social media age and allowing them to have open conversations and allowing them to make mistakes because humans make mistakes in the teenage brain. They're not even, the logic part's not even online. So they are more emotional and impulsive and easily distracted. So I think we just have to show them so much kindness and support and then they will get through it in more of a positive way than this judging and yeah of course there's got to be consequences but it's got to be done with lots of love I think yeah absolutely absolutely so Zina one last question for you can't you sum up in one sentence how have you made your life better oh wow surrounding myself with incredibly supportive people um, my husband my kids my friends a great business partner Ali and knowing I am, we are making some positive difference in the world. Beautiful. We need more people like you, you in the world, Dina. Oh, we do. <laughs> Thank you. And Ali, we're both out there together fighting the fight every day. <laughs> and Ali. <laughs> so where can everybody find you if they want to reach out? So um, www.therapproject.co.uk. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and also please look at the rapfoundation.co.uk and let's get this message out to all of our kids because just like I said we've said it's not an independent school problem it's not a state school problem it's a society problem and we need to all come together to make positive change for our kids and for our, and their, for our and for their futures. Do you go into primary schools or just secondary? No we started going to primary schools now we have a wonderful person, Jeff Hawley, who is the head of our primary school division, who's a teacher and the mother of three young daughters. And she has spearheaded that. So we are doing primaries as well. So we're everywhere. Everywhere they want us, we'll go. <laughs> That's good to know. We'll be sharing this. Yeah. Yes. We'll definitely spread the word everywhere. <laughs> Schools, corporates, anyone needs to have a Dina and Ali in their lives. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. It's been amazing. And thank you for our audience for joining us for one more week thanks for showing us your love and appreciation and please share 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 this episode so many people need to hear it and leave a comment and subscribe and we look forward to seeing you next week and in the meantime stay well stay safe and stay motivated much love